Hello and welcome to Modest Conversations. I'm here with Blake Barnes, someone I've known for what, like 10 years? It can't be that long. I think it might be that long. Yeah, I mean, it goes all the way back to New York. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, probably 10 years. I've recruited you twice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, the first time you just kind of like jump shipped and you know, you like went to the other coast. You were like, you know what, New York, I'm done with you. I, I remember it was very stressful for me because I was recruiting you while also selling my company simultaneously. <laughs> uh, I, I I remember for in our in one of our early recruiting conversations, we were sitting uh, on on the next to like in Dumbo uh, on the water right next to Brooklyn Bridge. And the question you you were maybe you were kind of rolling all in. You were talking about what what Facebook's unique differentiation was, why they were becoming <laughs> successful, and uh, your your point at the time was that it was if I recall it was something about their. Their ability to, to kind of, it seemed a bit far stretched or something about their data centers or their data centers were close to where their schools were or something like that. It was this, it was a very far stretched argument. Um, Interesting. But, but it sounds, it's, it's, it was a, it was a, it sounds like you're merging your. Yeah, I was your, probably thinking about something else while trying to interview you. And yeah, keep the trains yeah, running. exactly. I'm anyway, glad you were paying attention to our conversation I, at the time. Well, you know, enough to, to do it twice. So <laughs> anyway, you're now what, director of product at Facebook, I'm sorry, at Instagram. A little um, bit of both, director of product on Instagram, which is, of course, part of Facebook. Oh, so. is, is that true? I yeah. didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, you might, you might not have known that. Little, little, that. little known fact. But, uh, um, yeah, you've been there for longer than I was there now, which I think is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, but Blake, it's great to have you on the program. It's great to be here, and I certainly appreciate the surroundings. Do you appreciate our, our refined studio? Yeah, it's, you've really kind of upped the game here. And, you know, listening to them before, I didn't expect anything to what I've arrived at today. Yeah, well... That's the magic. That's cool. What do you want to talk about? So, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking. I mean, one of the one of the cool things, um, you know, uh, about working on Instagram, working on Facebook, is you get, you know, every now and then you get some time off from from kind of um, from working to distance yourself from um, by taking some vacation. And uh, recently, I've been thinking a lot about um, how uh, how people and, and the and you know and the human side of of, of working in a technology and how people um, really can uh, help define the products that they're building um, and the way those people think about the world and the way those people collaborate with one another um, can really define the shape of the products that they're building and ultimately the value they bring to the people that use their products. Um, so I'd love to talk about that. I'd love yeah, to talk about, the, talk about the, the human side of, of, of building great technologies and great products. That sounds like a very PM topic to discuss. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so yeah, so when, that, when you think about the human side, like, do you have any, what vignettes come to mind? You're like, holy crap, like that's like, a human decision or a cultural thing from how people interact and like has massive impact on product or changes direction or things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, um, I think it all starts, you know, what's, what's really interesting um, when you think about what a lot of, you know, companies these days, you know, certainly the bigger ones, a lot of them, um, what's interesting is it's a lot of it can be, I think, traced back to kind of the, the founding philosophy of the mm-hmm. company. Um, I think one of the things that's, you know, um, true of any organization of any scale is that it's uh, easier to change the direction of that organization at an earlier stage, right? Totally. So when, when it's you and you know a couple you know uh, other people you know in in, the, in your startup, um, kind of think of it maybe like a, a rowboat or a canoe, right? I always use sailing skiff. Oh, I think I think it maybe a canoe might be a little more accessible, um, but uh, but but it's directionally the same idea, yeah. right? I mean, it's a small ship, but uh, you know you can change directions very fast. But the interesting thing is, it, it may not all that much matter to anyone else that's not outside, that's yep. not in the canoe, right, or in the robot or in the skiff. Um, neighboring boats, these sorts of things, don't really mind your trajectory all that much. But as you kind of continue to grow and you continue to scale, get more and more people in the boat. You kind of think of yourself as then a cruise ship or you know um, big a ocean tanker. line or I was a tanker. tanker. 
Yeah, mil- <laughs> military. I feel like that's uh, you know guns and that sort of I stuff. I was thinking like, more like you know. Like oh, you want to you want to you want to you want an oil tanker? Okay, okay. Um, or you could even go one of the container ships. Those are pretty cool Those too. Those are huge. Yeah. Um, it's much harder to change directory, right? I mean, totally. you have to kind of and you know phone down in the engine room or kind of figure out how do we get all these people to go this direction. Um, but when you do change directions, it, it, it really matters. Um, other people kind of need to pay attention. Um, other people are aware, and, and you're, you set the tone for, for, for what a lot of other people are thinking to do. Um, so that's kind of one dimension I look at, you know, the human side of technology from, which is, you know, the, the, the balances of, of uh, you know, size, number of people that are participating yep. in any given one initiative um, versus, you know, the ability to stay nimble and, and change fast. Yeah, I mean, that's always, it's funny you bring that up. I actually use a similar metaphor. I always talk about, like, sailing ship, a little skiff, like my little, a little sunfish versus like an oil tanker, right? And yeah. the good news about being a little sailing ship is you can change direction really fast and tack back and forth. But once you're on an oil tanker, it's kind of like you accept the direction. It takes you 15 miles to change by four degrees, but you got a lot of ramming velocity. Yeah, yeah. Right? So you can kind of run over a few And you can, carry a lot of, you can carry a lot of oil or whatever you're carrying to the next destination and, and of course, have more utility to relative value to the world. Yeah, and similarly, um, I guess, when you talk about the human side, it's, you know, if you're in a little sunfish... If you, uh, if you take out the dagger board and you want to paddle along, you actually have an impact. Whereas when you're on the oil tanker, you can paddle all you want. You're not moving any faster. Totally, totally. <laughs> but then if you kind of riff with that a little bit, so, I mean, in that case, you know, any one person can take out the, 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 the paddle and, and kind of have impact on the direction. Um, and so the skills are kind of transferable. Yeah. Um, but then if you think about kind of to this, this, this tanker example, you know, that one captain, um, you know, she's manning the ship there and she's very well trained and very well, um, kind of, uh, you know, calibrating what she does, uh, her leverage is, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty extreme and pretty yeah. incredible on the ability to kind of like all that learning and all the experience she has is able to kind of really, you know, have a great deal of impact, which I, which in some ways is, is harder on that, you know, yeah. a smaller canoe, if you will. Yeah, for sure. So that's one thing, obviously, which I think is the trade-off a lot of people talk about between being at like startups and big companies and the, the nature of things. Like, what are some other things? If you think about the human side of, of yeah, startups, yeah. what else comes to mind? Well, the reason I mentioned the, the size thing is, is because it does apply to, you know, what you're doing, but it also applies to the culture you're building yeah. and, and the things that you value as a company, right? You know, when you kind of using this, continuing on this metaphor, when you have these three people, um, even if you're not talking about changing directions or changing product strategy or um, the value you're providing to the world, if you're just talking about what you care about, do yep. you care about being transparent? Um, do you care about, uh, you know, having a very um, empathetic culture, an empathetic community or, or team? Those things are, are kind of harder to sprinkle down, you know, when, as you get bigger. And I think, um, you know, setting those principles and setting those things of what, what people care about really early on is, is, is really important and, and key to kind of setting up a company off in the right trajectory. Sure. Um, so that would be kind of a kind of another component. Um, kind of riffing off that a little bit, I, I think... You know, nothing, you know, nothing matters in terms of the, the size of people, the number of people, um, if the individuals that are participating, you know, building this product or building this company, um, don't, uh, you know, don't come to the table with the right perspective. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things that's most interesting in that dimension is, you know, um, this discussion of, uh, a fixed mindset, um, versus a growth mindset. Have you kind of heard? I have, but here, do me a favor and by way, the audience, which is people love talking about growth mindset. Define growth mindset. Yeah, I mean, I think it means, it is kind of a bit of... Um, I literally just got off a call with a college senior. She's like, I'm all into growth mindset. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think here's, here's kind of what, what, what it means. I think it can mean a lot of different things to different people. Um, I think at its, you know, its core, I think if you boil it down, I think what a growth mindset is, is, is trying to do is, is to trying to get you to realize that 
um, challenges exciting and, yeah. and challenges is something to strive for and something to run towards as opposed to run away. And, and the way I think growth mindset, you know, the, the perspective in which it tries to do that is, is by making failure okay and making yeah. failure acceptable. Um, and recognizing that um, trying different things and taking different approaches to a problem that you may not know how to solve, um, you may not get the right answer every single time or the first time, the second, or even the third or fourth. Um, but the growth mindset perspective is one that like every attempt you make, you learn something new. And even if it doesn't apply to that particular situation, it'll, it'll kind of pay dividends. Is there like a counter argument to the growth mindset or is it just a new way of packaging like being open to failure? So I, I think what's really interesting when you think about this fixed mindset versus growth mindset is... Like, does anyone argue pro-fixed mindset? I, but... <laughs> well, I, let, me, let me answer that in a slightly different way, which is um, I, I think we're kind of all kind of uh, maybe in some way this is supporting your point, which is uh, I think we're all kind of wired that way from, you know, so so from from like day one. Right. I mean, um, you know, you, you, you know, that's having um, what a month old now, a month old. A month yeah. old. Um, you know, from my pers- I, I, I don't have any kids, but you know, a lot of the, my, my friends and, and family have kids. And one of the things they often tell me is that, you know, their kids are always doing experiments, right? It's like they're sitting at the high chair, drop food off, like testing the theory of gravity and seeing if it actually works. And I think as a kid, you're always kind of tuned to this growth mindset. Yeah. And I think what really the That's growth... That's how my son justifies it to me. On the 50th time, he drops something. Was yeah, like, yeah. He, he, he gives you a little wink and he just kind of like, he's just, I'm he's just like, trying stop to... Stop trying to make me be fixed. I'm just trying to fit in and, and kind of, yeah, I get it. I get it. He's, <laughs> he's a smart one. He takes after his dad, I guess. Um, but yeah, so, I, you know, um, is anyone arguing the fixed mindset perspective? Is anyone saying that, um, you know, the, this is, you, you know what you know and... Uh, and just be excellent at it. And just be excellent at it. Um, you know, there's certainly, here's what I'd say. I think there's certainly arguments to focus where you're, where you're, you know, where you're putting your energy to kind of improve. So, you know, take Olympics, Olympians, for example, you know, yeah. um, someone doing um, uh, the long pole kind of long jump, right? Yeah, long um, pole is not, not a thing. You're, long thinking, jump. you're thinking the high jump. Yeah, the high jump. We'll kind of yeah. mix it too. Maybe we can even make our own Olympics up while See, we're talking. that's a growth mindset. Yeah, kind of yeah. Thing. You know, just roll with it. Riff with me here. <laughs> um, you know, they may say, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, a world-class architect. But uh, for me, the place I'm going to focus and put it's my jumping. energy here is jumping, right? <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of, if you kind of dive into that, there's a lot of work that they need to do. They need to be fast and to be nimble. They need to kind of like, you know, it's not gonna, you're not going to get to be a world-class jumper overnight. Yeah. Um, so I would say that I think the fixed mindset approach, um, I, to me, it's kind of, it, you know, the growth mindset kind of takes, you know, takes sway there, but you can focus and narrow it sure. on, on a, on a, on a more I'm niche mostly area. being a jerk, but it's fun to, it's you know, fun to I, 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 I get that, you know, we've known each other for long enough that I realized that's your natural <laughs> demeanor and I'm just trying to, uh, you know, yeah, go with you here. Yeah, no problem. Um, so anyway, so I, I set you off on the wrong course though, or a different course. It's because we're not in an oil tanker yet. Um, and then this is a growth mindset conversation, so there really is no wrong course. There course, is just an alternative we're all, course. We're all right in our own beautiful, yeah, magical yeah. way. So, okay, so you, you, you're talking about, like, the personalities and, like, setting off on, like, a growth mindset early on. Like, what is that, like, so, you know, you're you're in this little sailing boat. You want to be an oil tanker someday. Or maybe you're in this oil tank. You find yourself on an oil tanker. Like, what does that mean in terms of how you interact with people or, I don't know, how you organize teams? The stuff you do every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, well... I, I think 
I think you can apply it to any 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 of these stages. The interesting thing is you can kind of take these two concepts we've been talking about, the stage of a company and the stage of, of an organization, and combine it with the individual's need for a growth mindset. Yeah. Um, maybe we can start with, with Finn as an example. Sure. Um, it's a you know, smaller company now. Um, I'm sure there are there are challenges where um, you know, different people kind of need to like reach across the border of what they've been hired to do sure. and then pitch in and help out. Absolutely. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, one thing you'd look for in terms of, you know, when I, when I look to build teams and when I'm thinking about what makes strong, you know, strongest people do great work is people that are, you know, really, really recognizing what is the most important thing for us to be doing right now yep. as a group of people. Um, and, you know, what is the best way that I can help push this forward. Yeah. And I think it's interesting with startups and I think in most companies too, which is how do I balance my own personal learning with the needs of the team? Right. Uh, which I think is an interesting, interesting thing. Cause interesting. Need, talk, yeah. talk more about that. What, what do you, what do you mean there? Well, I think that like a lot of people, let's say who've embraced the growth mindset, which I think there's usually a high overlap with people who are willing to do something as crazy as join startups. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they're very interested and in, they should be in like growing their skill set and learning and things like that. And there are things that are fundamentally you talk about like, a boat metaphor, right? It's mm. like sometimes you gotta fucking row, even when like you know how to row, right? And there's you talk about it's almost like the maybe the inverse of the argument you're making where people like default to like what they know. I think there's a class of people, I think a lot of them might be in Silicon Valley, who like actually sometimes deep like want to do the thing they don't know how to do rather than the thing they do know how to do. Yeah, it's like an, a person. Yeah. but sometimes you like need to do the thing they're excellent at, right? So, so there's an interesting balance between how do you motivate and encourage yeah, people yeah. and make them feel valued because they are valued for their excellence at long jump, right? Or their excellence at, you know, I don't know. Like I was thinking today, I, there's a, an incredibly great engineer, Finn, who's like doing some really mundane work on like DNS right now. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. It's like pretty boring, but someone's got to fucking do it. Right? Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I think that there's, um, I mean, there's a number of ways to kind of think about that. Um, for one is that the people are excellent at something, um, I think there's a number of ways to define excellence, right? I mean, excellence could mean they get the job done really well, but maybe they don't get it done as efficiently, as quickly as they could. Sure. So maybe there are things to learn and areas to grow in to get that thing done just as well, but just faster or easier. Um, I think there are other dimensions. I love that. By the way, I know this is what you mean, but I love the image of you just like, <laughs> or someone rolling up to and be like, listen, you are excellent at this, but I need you to have a growth mindset about being faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, in terms of the way the conversation, in terms of the way the conversation would go, I'm not sure I would quite phrase it in such a way. It's not, please get this done faster, we need this done by part. It's like, listen, I have a growth opportunity for you. Well, the other, (laughs) I mean, the other way to think about that beyond, beyond getting it done faster um, and more efficiently would be to help someone else kind of in the process, right? You know, people that are excellent in one dimension, you know, one of the things that I think is really important with building teams is to kind of help the teams be set up in such a way that people are eager to learn from one another. Yeah. Um, and so in that in case you're talking about, which is, um, you know, someone not being super excited to set up a DNS entry. No, they're fine. Doing um, it. It's not the most exciting. Work. Yeah, sure. Well, maybe it's, well, one interesting thing here is, is it may not be the most exciting to you, but of course there's other perspectives out there and some people may enjoy it. Maybe this person does not, but either way, <laughs> either way, in this particular example, maybe there's a situation where the person can kind of take someone, you know, into their wing, under their wing and, um, you know, help show them the, the way that, that, they're able to do this so so amazingly and, and get them ramped up for the next time. Totally. Um, so that might kind of might be another way. Um, ultimately, though, I think, you know, the balance is, I think, something that we're all looking for. Yeah. Or certainly a lot of the people that, you know, tend to navigate to or, or, or kind of get, you know, pulled into building technology products. It's a balance of, um, you know, it's interesting because, 
you know, on one dimension, learning is a key component of this, is a key component of growth mindset and a key component of like looking for challenges. On the other hand, I think a lot of people, you know, are also looking to have impact, you know, in, in some way, yeah. looking to change, change some outcome somewhere. I like that. That's right? actually really interesting. Maybe, um, maybe as silly as we were being before about like a growth mindset versus like a closed mindset where we're talking about. And that may be actually the right way to frame it, which is the difference between a growth mindset, which is about personal like learning versus like an impact mindset, which is like, look, I'm the best long jumper in the world, so I'm going to focus on long jump. You know what I mean? And like, that's actually how I can have the most impact. Well, maybe, maybe, we, can, maybe, maybe we can riff on that a little bit, which is like, um, you know, if you look at the, the two, uh, you know, the fixed mindset may say, I know I'm really good at this thing. Like, yep. I know when I do this thing, I'm going, I'm going to, to kind of do it as one of the best out there. Yep. Um, and presumably if that thing has some amount of impact, if it, if it leads to a better product, if it communicates the product more effectively to the world, you name it, right? Yep. Then you're having impact. You're having, you're, you're giving value. And perhaps what the growth mindset would say is like, that's great. Like you're doing that well. You've accomplished that thing. But perhaps there are other ways you could, maybe even bigger ways for you yeah. to have impact over time. Yeah. And, and what you, what one may, what, what I tr- certainly try to do is try to find that balance where, um, you know, you, you know, and encourage my teams to do is find the balance where they can, to your point, you know, have immediate impact based off of the learnings that they've had up until now. Yep. Um, at the same time, always kind of teeing up that kind of thing that like they may, they may be the world-class expert on a year from now, but yeah. they're not going to be the world-class expert unless they start. Yeah, I think that's a really cool and good way to think about it, which is it's actually kind of about current impact versus future impact. And in a world where like everything is changing rapidly and once you kind of solve the problem once, you kind of need to move on to continue to have impact. It's kind of like the opposite of the way the world used to work, where like you'd be an expert right. craftsman. Right, right. You're the best horseshoe maker in the world. Guess what? The world needs a lot of horseshoes. You're not going to automate that. So you should probably just like keep getting better at horseshoe making. Yeah. Right? So, Versus a world where like almost by definition, once you can like, once you understand it, it's no longer a problem. So I think I, I like that too. And maybe we can kind of like combine it with like two other kind of, you know, interesting dimensions here. Yeah. Um, one dimension is, um, you know, you know, if we kind of go back to this, this metaphor of as you, as you, you know, going back to as a kid and having a growth mindset, um, you know, and kids obviously like can't do anything. Right. So well, well, maybe, 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 maybe you could argue that, you know, a child can master the art of crayons and uh-huh. like, that's it. They, they are the best crayon artists that the world has ever seen. And they, they just decide, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm done. I'm done there. I'm, I'm done <laughs> that they blow up an Instagram and, and that's the, their thing. Um, I would, I would imagine that the, the number of, you know, expert crayon artists in the world is, is going to remain relatively small. Uh, well, and that's, so, again, that's the beauty of the thing about technology, especially media creation, right? Is it used to be every town would need their crayon, their, their best crayon creator. Sure. Right? And now sure. You just need one. Now you have the, now you have the best. Um, but the point being that like, at some point there seems to be this natural trend that, you know, okay, I've locked in the necessary skills I have, yep. right? And this is where I'm going to go. So that, that's kind of one dimension. And then the other one that I think is interesting there. Um, that you talked about is, is this, you know, kind of going back to, to kind of where we were in terms of being craftsmen and kind of, you know, you know, being taken under as, as a being mentored, um, to be the, you know, the horseshoe, you know, um, create, you know, horseshoe forger. Right? I think that guy is called a blacksmith. Yeah, a blacksmith. Thank you. I'm really having trouble with my nomenclature today. Uh, my vocabulary, if you will. Um, Today, you know, when you think about the, the number of jobs that, you know, the, the, the average person in, in the tech industry will have, you know, they'll, they'll move around to a number of different companies over a much, you know, shorter period of time than the generation before did. Um, and so perhaps the, this kind of perspective and way of thinking about things is, you know, even more critical yeah. um, and even more needed to make sure that they, they can, can always, you know, provide value and impact into whatever dynamics may change.
Yeah, I think that's right. And it's an interesting thing because you go back to like if you're running a company now or running a team or, or running a, a project and you're thinking, I, I kind of mentioned like thinking about like looking out for people as an individual team members' personal growth versus the needs of the company. I think another way to frame that is just like the needs of the company today versus the needs of the company a year from now, right? Mm, and how you mm. balance those things. And, you know, almost like how do you think about what the optimal mix is of like current focus and future focus? And it's interesting because if you think about it that way, the kind of natural place you'd go to is that big companies would encourage the growth mindset more because they fundamentally have longer timelines they can operate on, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. you don't really care working at Instagram at this point. I mean, it matters what you ship obviously day to day, but you're really looking out for like a multi-year arc. Whereas like when you're in a tiny startup, right, you're just trying to survive next month. You're less concerned about that. Yeah. Someone was talking, I can't remember who, who I was speaking to, but they were kind of using the rough guideline that um, the number of months that you look forward is like, it's certainly directly correlated to the number of months that the company's been founded, let's say. Sure. You know, so you start a company in week one, well, you're not going to be looking five years ahead of now, you know, ahead of time. You're, you're going to be really make, focusing, focusing on the here and now and making sure that, you know, you, you continue to exist a month from now or six months from now. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the challenge of that obviously is when you stretch it ad absurdium, right? It's like IBM might be thinking, if they're thinking whatever, a hundred years ahead, they're probably pretty screwed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So there's there's obviously a balance. Awesome sure, it, right? sure, sure. Or maybe some negative return, right? Yeah, yeah. So, there's obviously a kind of a, a balance and a sweet spot. Um, and I think everyone's just trying to always find find that balance. Yeah. Just like we're just like I think every, everyone tries to find the right balance, and I'm sure you do this. I know we do this on Instagram. Um, find the right balance of making sure that we are having impact and giving value back to the community, as well as making sure our you know the people that are building the products you know are learning new things and, and kind of um, pushing on what's great for them as well. So how do you think about, I mean, one thing I know you do a lot of these days is just like recruiting, right? So we'll go back to sure. boats because we started on boats. It's like you're in your rowboat. Uh, you want to put more people in the boat, right? Or you're trying to find more people. Like, how do you think about all these types of questions about who the right people are to bring on to companies at different stages? And, and I don't know. I don't know. Like, how does this relate to recruiting? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I think the place to kind of so recruiting is, is kind of a means to an end. So it's a way to get someone that you think, you know, some some background that you think you need, um, you know, into the boat with you so you can kind of, as a team, be more effective. Yep. So I think the, the kind of place to start kind of, you know, kind of before recruiting would be to kind of have a have a, have a vision and a plan for how you think a group of people could could best achieve some some mission or mm-hmm. some charter. Um, and the thing that we, that, that we often think about is, you know, we, we, we spend a lot of time making sure we, we kind of have small lean teams so that, um, you know, we have, you know, the ability to kind of, to our earlier point, stay nimble and, and, and kind of adjust course as needed. Um, but there is a balance there. And a lot of times you need other people to kind of come on and, and join. And when, when we, when we do that, you know, we, we take a, a long look at, you know, how our, our team is structured so far. What are, to our point earlier, what are, what is the team really, really good at? What do they excel at? Um, when we bring on, you know, uh, you know, so I lead the product management team, um, for, for, for part of, you know, a large part of the consumer product at Instagram. And so when we bring on, um, someone to one of our teams there, we will look at what the other disciplines, you know, uh, we have on the team are. So, you know, whether it's, um, design or, or engineering or research or you name another discipline, um, it's data science, for example, um, we look at the kind of leaders that we have in those places, if we have those positions filled, um, or if we don't, we look at kind of like what sorts of skills we'd like to put there. And we kind of pull people, we kind of plan on, well, what sort of people can we bring on that can complement these people? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we have, 
you know, an, an incredible designer that, um, you know, really has a perspective and, and, and has a strong point of view. We may not, you know, need that, that muscle as strongly on the product sure. management side. The same may be true for data science. Or, and conversely, um, you know, if, if you kind of have someone um, who's just getting started and getting acclimated, you might need to complement them. So that's kind of one of the key things we look at is like, it's not about filling one role in isolation. It's about looking at the kind of broader picture of this team, this like yeah. group of people like coming together. Team. Yeah, you care who the other players are. To yeah, you kind of want to kind of want to pull them together in a way that like makes sense. Yeah, um, and they can complement each other. I think it's interesting that people sometimes misunderstand about um, how big companies operate. Where they're like, oh, there's like the disciplines of like engineering and product and design or whatever the max of is, and like the people of those roles, except for seniority, are like largely interchangeable. Right, like they they kind of all like do the same thing, and th- there is some truth to that. Oh, you're saying this is how people kind of perceive yeah, it. Yeah, externally people perceive it as kind of like these just like mm, plugging mm. pieces together, whereas the actual reality of it is far more. I would argue like a sports team, right, where you like you know you have like a really strong point guard. So I don't know basketball well enough, but I assume that impacts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly the way we build teams at Instagram is making sure that, you know, every, every person, you know, that is on the team has a certain kind of, um, perspective and a certain sort of, you know, sets of skills that they're great at that they can bring to the team and complement one another. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's certainly one thing, one thing we look at. And then once we kind of have that profile, if you will, um, we kind of. Do you, when you have people on the company on the way in, do do you like talk to them before you hire them about like, what they're strong at and what they want to learn. Like, is the, what do you want to learn? Or like, what do you look Like, is that an important part of how you think about even who's the right for the job? You're talking prospective candidates, yeah. people that we're, we're interviewing. Internally, externally. Yeah. Like, is the, you, obviously, like, what are you good at? And what are the other people on the team good at? And how do they come to this part of it? But to talk about this growth mindset thing, like, how much do you think about, like, all right, like, what are you actually looking to learn? Like, what is the, going to be the validation beyond doing a good job that you'll get out of this? Yeah, I mean, so once you kind of have the profile of the type of person you're looking for, I mean, that's the first thing. And, you know, and the profile may change as you continue to talk to people and, and interview people. You know, I, you know, I think a lot of people will find that as they kind of, you know, they have some view of the person that they're looking to hire. And then as they talk to more people, it changes and it evolves. Um but, you know, one of the things that, you know, that, that, that I certainly do is, is, you know, when I'm talking to someone in, uh, in, in kind of getting a feel for, for what their expertise are, is trying to get a feel for how they perceive themselves and kind of what their personal perspective of and kind of where, um, you know, where, where they see the world and how they relate to it. Um, so, for example, um, you know, let's take the, the, the craft of, of product management, right? You know, product managers often have to work alongside you know, a lot of different disciplines, some of that we talked about, whether it's research or data science, and kind of need to live within their their, their spaces every now and then mm-hmm. um, and kind of reach over them. And, you know, what, what, what's... Um, reach out to them. I don't think you want to reach over them. Sure, sure. I, I meant reach, <laughs> reach over to disciplines. I'm just um, Yeah, it seems to be a trend of our conversation. Well, I've known you long enough. It's hard not to. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so, you know, when you think about this... Um, you know, what, what you might, what, what sometimes comes out is that there's, you know, types of, uh, product managers in this case, you know, that might be more analytically minded, yep. um, or might be more design oriented or might be more executionally focused. Um, and that, that actually is one specific question that I, that I like learning from people, you know, just asking you, you know, if you had to choose one other discipline, um, where would you be? If you couldn't be a product manager, would you be a designer? Would you be an engineer? Or would you be a data scientist? And really, kind of trying or to a get, researcher. yeah, you you name it. I mean, those are just a, those are just a handful of them. Um, Does anyone ever give you like a great answer to that? Like, I'd be a painter. A, a painter? No, it was usually. I, well, I also or try like to. I try to. I, I try to constrain it so to kind of like 
to kind of get um, more more signal, in other yeah. words, right? Um, get it, to be a painter kind of wouldn't wouldn't kind of lead the conversation, um, you know, kind of in the in, in the most productive of ways. I don't know. Conversations. It, depends. it depends what the product is. Well, well, in this particular example, one one of the one of the best kind of you know follow ups that you could kind of that I, that I've kind of enjoyed doing from that is like so. Let's say you um, you know you mentioned to me that you know data science is, is really your expertise. If you weren't a product leader, you'd be a data scientist. Well, then I can kind of take the conversation to the area of design. Yeah. Um, and kind of really push on on that area and see kind of where you fall on that is an area that you're really excited about. So to your earlier question, you said, do you get a feel for what they're excited about learning? And yeah. that's kind of one way you can do that is you can kind of, I think what you first need to do before you can figure out what they're excited about learning or how they deal with a problem that they don't know, you need to anchor on what they do know, what yeah. they are experts on. Yeah. And you can kind of anchor on that and then you can kind of push into their other areas of, you know, where aren't they, you know, strongest. Yeah, and I mean, um, I assume asking and try and understand how they would learn about a new thing they know nothing about, right? Um, yeah. I'm going to go read all the academic papers or ask a friend or what their, you know, what their approach to learning is. Yeah, although I, I um, you know, to some degree, I, I found that, you know, in these sorts of conversations, it's it's much more effective to take a specific example and, sure. and, and, and make it tangible as opposed to kind of abstracting it, it away. At its, I think it's easier to kind of, to kind of, to kind of go by the, like, the, the case by case of, oh, I would do this, do that, like, to kind of, answer at a more abstract level, people can logic and reason through that. Um, But the real test for these sorts of things is like when approached with a situation and a specific problem or specific scenario that does catch you off your guard, that does catch you off your feet, um, you know, how do they react? And I've seen a number of different types of behaviors that kind of come out of that. I mean, sometimes people will, you know, try a few angles and then, you know, very quickly they'll shut down and say, you know, I'm I'm not really sure. Um, And that'll kind of be the end of that. Um, (laughs) And other t- other times they'll, they'll kind of push on and kind of like maybe engage me in a conversation about you know some following questions or you know some things that they're having trouble reasoning through or, or kind of can't. Approach. Or sometimes they just go straight for verbal abuse. Yeah, just like straight up. In the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that those really are the people that I love bringing. In. That's right. You know, those so are the best people. That know it's certainly the people. It's certainly the people abuse. that I, that I love working alongside, as yeah. demonstrated by our partnership a number of years ago. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think it's like a really interesting. I mean, I, I think. To kind of the earlier comments and conversations you're having, I do think that the kind of idea of growth mindset at, a, at an abstract level is has become quite popular, right? In a lot of ways, like I think a lot of people define themselves that or say I have that, or you know, they, they write a resume they're like growth oriented mm-hmm. or something like that. But I think what you're getting into, and I think it actually is kidding aside, really important is understanding. You know, that's great at a high abstract level. But when you get right down to it, you know, can you when you're interviewing someone, when you're bringing someone on a team, when you're trying to figure out you know, how to work with someone, how much, um, does that come through and, and in what forms, like what is their version of growth or what is the version of growth they're comfortable with or default to first? And then how do you even, I mean, if we're going to be really meta about it, like how do you teach people to learn differently or better? Yeah. I'd be curious to see, I mean, how, I mean, what sort of this, what's, what's, which of this resonates with you and which of this have you applied at, at Finn or, or, or previous places? Well, I mean, I think we, I mean, I really, really believe in generalists, right? And so at Finn, you know, we only really have three roles, right? We have like an ops role, we have product engineering, and we have uh, data science, right? Which is really data period from infrastructure to BI to whatever, right? It's like mm-hmm. very, very high level because my view is that what you really need early on is to your point, people are hyper flexible, um, can pick up different problems, et cetera. So we have no PMs, we have no designers. Uh, at some point, we probably need a designer, but we really, really believe in kind of at, at early stages, um, taking that very broad approach. And so, you know, when we look for people and like, we're trying to find people we're, we're so far on the spectrum that we like basically need people that are very comfortable 
making calls on their own and owning whole things and knowing that they're probably really strong in some area, but they're going to have to ask for help in other areas. They're also just going to have to make some calls, right? Um, and be confident in experimentation on their own at some point. Mm. Um, but I think it obviously changes and evolves as a company grows and exactly kind of how people do things. And again, this whole balance between expertise, right, and being deeply uh, good at something or deeply knowledgeable at something versus stretching um, yeah. to other areas. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things about what you said that kind of like maybe we can kind of tie one other point together here, which is, um, you know, I think one of the things that, that thinking about things in the growth mindset can do is it can allow you to recognize where you are weak. You know, if you think about things as if, as in the, in the fixed mindset where you may just kind of like pretend these other areas yeah. don't, you don't, can admit weakness. Yeah. You can admit weakness essentially. So when you were, when you were describing the type of talent that you look for at Finn, one of the things that at least I picked up on when you were talking about was when you, when you were talking about people that know areas that they're strong in and areas that they, you know, are, are, are weaker in. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of another kind of important part of, of the whole puzzle. You know, we talked about it, you know. Um, as it related to kind of how I talk to protective candidates, it's, it's admitting weakness, it's understanding your strengths and weaknesses, yeah. um, and, and using that as a starting point. Easy to start with, but also just using it, I think people who can acknowledge that openly um, are the people who also are like most in control of their own learning, right? And so I think yeah. the reality is you talk about, you can have a growth mindset and you actually have to just be a really good learner. Yeah, well right? maybe one, being a good learner totally. is hard. And, um, and one of the interesting things there that I think is like really important that we shouldn't just gloss over you know, tying it back to where we started the conversation, which is, you know, uh, founders and, and a small set of people setting the company up with the right set of cultural principles is a lot of what we talked about needs the right environment around it. Yeah. Right. Um, it's only possible to admit weakness and to try things and to fail when the set of people that you're surrounded by, when the, when the you know, um, the incentive structures, whether it's financial, you know, promotions or otherwise, you know, gives room for that um, and essentially rewards that. Yeah. Um, and and so it's, it's not just about it, it can't, you know, you. You, know, you can't just say I'm going to take the growth mindset and and you know apply it to any craft or any trade. I I, I think that's an unfair you know kind of it, maybe it works and works better than the fixed mindset might, but like for it to be truly successful, it requires a lot of other kind of apparatus around it to kind of create the right environment. It for also it to, be. to your point about apparatus, though, I think it's interesting with startups in particular, working at a small one, having worked at a very large company before. Because the other thing is like the big difference between startups and big companies is like. This is all true, but you're also always living on like the the knife's edge, right? Like, mm. you know, the nice part, of the growth or having space to grow or fail. These are all nice things in in, in theory, and, and they're great to be able to foster and create a culture around. But it's a lot more scary when you're always like two moves away from disappearing, right? Like, um, where versus having being on the oil tanker and having some ramming velocity. So yeah. I think it's an interesting thing to balance, right? Which is like, how do you simultaneously have a growth mindset and encourage growth, encourage experimentation, encourage failure? When you also know that failure can be quite binary, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I, 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 I can't. I can't quite tell the point you're making. Is the point you're making that you that is is it back to the early point you're, you were kind of arguing earlier, which is that that it's easier for larger companies to have to like yeah. to, to do this, or is, to, it, is it harder for startups? I think it's because I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think it's easier for big companies. I think that there's different pros and cons to each of them. So take startups, for example. You talked about how you hire a lot of generalists, yep. right? People that can kind of reach across, you know, and do different, you know, types yep. of craft that they weren't, they weren't, they weren't trying to do. I think some, to some degree, you know, as you continue to scale, that can get harder, That's right? Harder. Um, and so the, the opportunities, you know, you may have more space across a certain function, you know, to kind of grow and to learn. But, um, you yeah. know, some of the situations that, that you're, that you're, you know, your team is, is in, um, you know, any given day there, you know, might, might require, might be a, you know, data infrastructure engineer today and, and a data analyst the next day. And so I, I think that, uh, 
I think that there are pros and cons and there are, there are advantages and it's just it's kind of a multidimensional space. I, I think that's very fair. I um, think that's very fair. I think early on the good news is no one knows how to do anything, right, with being a little bit pedantic. It's mean, like, yeah, just so yeah. much a white space that you, if you are looking for areas to grow or things to figure out, it's not like you're going to like turn around and the expert's right there, so it's super hard to engage with it because yeah. it's kind of like taken care of. Yeah, it's yeah. so abstracted. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, like, it's not even a thing you think about, right? So, but on the flip side, I mean, I think the interesting thing is like, you, there is this question about how do you give enough, how do you have enough space to experiment with confidence? Like, here's an example, maybe, and not to monopolize, but like, um, if you do that fairly often, so I'm, I'm used to it as well. Uh, listen, I give it out, I can take it back. <laughs> the, um, think about like, I think it's really, really hard. I mean, to make it a social analogy. I think it's all well and good to talk about experimentation and risk-taking and failure. I think it's very obvious that if you're from an upper-middle-class family, it's a lot easier to have a growth mindset and be experimental than it is if, like, you know, you are, you know, your parents don't speak English and you're a first-generation American and you have no means. I think, um, well, first, to, to rewind, rewind a little bit, to the, <laughs> I, I think one of the things I, I want to call up to those listening is, um, you know, so we've known each other for 10 years. Um, and what, 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 what just transpired was the closest I will ever get to you agreeing with me, which this is what happened. I, I made a point and you said, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. It was never, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's never, you're right. It's always, that's fair. Yeah. And then quickly into a, a slightly, a slightly, uh, different perspective on things. Yeah, it certainly is. But I just want to make sure, um, right. you know, to, to recognize and, and, and kind of, right. you know, take that moment. So I'll say to that, uh, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right. Um, so to kind of, to your point of this growth mindset, I mean, look, I, like I think, um, I think that that there are certain uh, there are certain kind of getting back to the prerequisites. You know, the the prerequisites of what it means to be, you know, um, to kind of really take advantage of, of of the growth mindset. You know, a lot of it is that we talked about the apparatus around you and and the, and the setup. Um, what growth mindset essentially encourages you to do is to try things and to at times fail. Um, but to your earlier point, that may not be possible. Right. There are situations that many people are placed in every single day where failure is simply not an option, um, where failure could lead to them not having a place to live or something to eat. Um, and those or are in the case of the Blue Angels, you know, they crash. Perhaps, perhaps um, very different ends of the spectrums there. Uh, but yeah, so those are those are all in. in I, I certainly am not one to um, to kind of, uh, n- you know, be the best advocate for figuring out how to navigate those situations. But I think those are the realities of of you know, you know, the one we live in, that some of these sorts of things are certainly more challenging depending on the situations, the scenario that you're in. Um, and, uh, well, I think it's just interesting not to, not to expand our conversation. Well, I'll expand our conversation all the way, which is like, you know, there's another, we talk about, there's a lot of conversation going on about UBI, universal base income and mm, conversations mm. about social safety nets and like, how do you spur innovation? And, and I do actually think there's this interesting connection between a world that requires a growth mindset right um and safety nets right yeah Um, totally in a way that like maybe just didn't exist before and so i actually think this might be kind of the hidden other part of the conversation we're having right now about how you know roles evolve and and people evolve and and the kind of the the pointedness of this is it does kind of feel like if the growth mindset is the future then the way we set up people even at a societal level to succeed in that has to evolve Mm. Mm. it's interesting i I mean I, i personally haven't um kind of um, thought much about kind of the macro economics of, of what, what, what it would mean for everyone um, that, you know, in our society to kind of really embrace it. 
Um, and your point here is, is more because it's essentially risk tolerance is what you're getting at well, here. The, 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 is that the, the, your, your point is that, you know, for us as a society to encourage everyone to kind of and have this to, to both ascribe to and have the opportunity to practice it, then we need to make sure that there's a certain amount of, um, you know, tolerance for risk um, in, in their day-to-day, in their yeah. day-to-day sustenance, in their day-to-day, you know. Um, in everything, because you think about it, it's like in a world of expertise, Right. Or is, put differently, we talk about like our, our good old, um, what was it? Who makes horseshoes? <laughs> you're, you're, you're the, uh, the vocabulary the, expert here. Uh, come on. I, I, had this I, I don't know. I, you know, I, 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 you said it before. I think, I think it was, I think it was right, the blacksmith. So the blacksmith, in the world of the blacksmith, where you have like an apprentice system and someone's like the expert at horseshoe making. And then like you pay your dues over time and you know that if you become a great horseshoe maker, that's like, what you need to do. You don't need to be in a growth mindset, right? You need to just like become an expert and that's your contribution. It will always be your contribution because people are always going to need horseshoes, right? Um, that the rules around how you set up a society or a company, because they're, they're really, they're very similar. There's large organizations to support people becoming the best they can be, right? Um, changes pretty radically when being the best you can be requires effectively a failure. Like you have to let people like, screw up horseshoes, <laughs> right? In order for them to make even better horseshoes. Mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit too mixed, but you get the kind of point. Um, I don't so, know, I think it's an interesting story. Well, maybe we can riff on that a little bit and, and kind of think about what what are, what, so what are the basic fundamental needs that, that someone needs to have to operate in this growth mindset across like, the macro scale? I mean, yeah. essentially it's, you know, uh, it's kind of the ability to try things. Yep. Um, it's the ability to try things that, um, access to learning, to opportunities for learning, opportunities, some basic fundamental education to, to give you an even kind of the right foundation to try something. Then the ability to to try some, the materials, the the structure, whatever it may be to kind of like do that thing. Right. Um, and then the ability afterwards to, um, to fail at that thing. Um, and, and for people around you to, to be social, for it to be socially acceptable, um, and to be able to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, or do a different thing. And all of that requires time and all of that requires energy and effort. Um, and, you know, failure typically in, at, at, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the, the larger well, scale. Can I, can I one yeah, yeah. They also, I think, have to know when they've failed. So Which feedback loop is, you're saying. Yeah, they need like a useful sure. feedback loop. Because um, I think that's the other really sad thing is like when you, if you accept the growth mindset, which I think is a great thing, and you accept experimentation and all these types of things, is like if you don't actually know when you've screwed up or when you've failed, you never get and off. what, yeah, I, I, it's certainly true. I guess I kind of took it for granted that people would, would know. I guess my, my assumption for why they would know that they failed is, you know, there's some success outcome that they're looking for, right? There's some, I mean, I, w- I would say that when you're trying something, you're trying to achieve some, to, to change something, to change an outcome, whether yeah. that's to create a horseshoe, um, to create um, a new communication app or whatever, um, there's some outcome you're trying to achieve. And it's clear that when you don't achieve that, that Yeah, is, although that you know as well as I do, right, that like the metrics you pick and how you pick them and how you measure what you're trying to achieve, um, there's whole varieties of quality, right? You talk about a, dis- a disappointment. You're even, saying there's shades even, of gray. Even, sure, even, sure, sure. even defining success in a tight enough way, right, that mm. is achievable or that you can like actually have impact every day or know if you're succeeding or failing is harder sometimes than it looks on paper. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fine. Um, so we can put feedback loop in there. Then I actually feel like one of the things you'd probably have to put back in there is like an incentive structure as well, yeah. which is like, why am I doing this thing? And I think some, there, I think motivation 
Motivation is a really interesting thing. It's actually a whole other dimension of, of kind of the human side of technology that we could talk about because motivation definitely varies from individual to individual, you know, um, and a certain portion, this is, this is my, my lead, a certain portion of it certainly is in, can, can be intrinsic to, to someone, you know, how much are they motivated internally just by virtue of who they are and how yeah. they were raised and the, the, the principles they have, the values that they hold true, how much are they motivated to achieve something? But I certainly think that there's another component there, which is like some sort of extrinsic motivation, um, judging by, you know, a, a successful feedback loop from, you know, from from some other people or some sort of outcome or milestone that was achieved that other can, you know, they can achieve. And so maybe that's another part to put into like this kit of, of, of what what the kind of things you need are to kind of operate effectively in this environment. Yeah. And I think you can go back to like the measurement piece, even like being self-aware of what you're motivated by. Right. In the short term and the long term. Yeah, yeah. And um, not, not everyone is. So I actually think that would tie into like, so if we kind of go back to, you know, what we were talking about, we were talking about like perspective, you know, colleagues and teammates and trying to understand, you know, their foundations of, of what they're great at. I think an, another kind of very important part to your point is self-perception of, of how they are motivated. Right. And so do you think people on a team should be motivated by the same things? No, I don't. I don't think it's I don't think it's a requirement for them to be motivated by the same things. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it's a bad thing if they are. Uh, I haven't really thought through if there's any negative consequences of that. But I certainly don't think it's a, a requirement for everyone to be motivated or or want to accomplish the same things. I think people can want to can can still have a unified vision for 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 a product that they're building and outcome they'd like to see change, despite the fact that they arrive there through different motivations. Fair enough. Um, what's your perspective? I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I mean. There's a kind of a, a, a strand of always with, with startups and companies about like, you know, do you want diversity or do you want like carbon copies of people, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want like, you know, at a startup, it, the, and the obvious answer is diversity, right? There's a less obvious answer that's actually, that's not really correct, unfortunately, right? At certain stages and in certain places, like diversity is not always a good thing. Um, watch me get in a lot of trouble for saying that, but it's true, Um but it is interesting. I haven't thought about it in terms of motivation. I mean, obviously, you have obviously bought into whatever the goals that have been outlined are, or like the goals that you come to collectively. I mean, you and I have talked before about my favorite phrase to disagree and commit. I think you're a big fan of it too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, how do you get people who like you don't agree on everything, but you just commit and make it happen? Um, but I do think you still need to fit in people's incentive frameworks, or they're not going to be happy. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that. Uh... I think that different motivations are fine. I do think that diverse perspectives can 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 ultimately and will make, do make better products. Um, I do think that there's the to your other point around disagreeing commits is that you know one of the things that here's here's the thing that take a specific take take um you know let's say you are uh, you know um, you know building building a you know building a new building right. Um, and you know, some person argues that it should be like a, you know, 60 story skyscraper. And the other one argues that it's better to keep like kind of have a, have a bigger footprint, um, and have fewer floors. There's various reasons. That's crazy. Yeah. One might argue this, <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, I think that in a lot of ways, you know, the worst case scenario there is having different perspectives that can't disagree. Can't, right. Can't and commit. so then they're building a sort of high building. That's yeah. That's like the emerge between the two. It's designed by compromise or even worse than that. They don't break ground ever because there's constant debate about, is this better? Or is that better? Um, but I do, I, I would argue that like in that world, like having the perspective of, you know, Oh, a, a larger footprint is better for these reasons. Um, you know, 
could could bring a different perspective to kind of merging those ideas into the taller skyscraper. Sure. Um, and from my perspective, that's that's kind of the sweet spot to be a sweet spot where you have a wide range of diverse perspective for a wide range of of um, you know you know diverse experiences that can see the common perspective and the common or can see the, the common vision, despite the fact they may have gotten there for the different ways. And then at times recognizing that it's best to just disagree and commit. And as a team, you're looking, uh, trying to build something far bigger than any one individual. Yeah, that's fair. It's fascinating stuff. Humans are so complicated. Um, I think it's an interesting side. I mean, the, the kind of the obvious joke to make is it'll all be irrelevant once AI designs everything anyway, right? Perhaps, just, perhaps. But um, yeah, I think it's going to, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I as, as you know, like to kind of, make the point that PMs are basically janitors, right? Um, your job is to like pick up all the pieces and keep everything running while like the experts do what they do best, right? Yeah, um, one of the things that maybe we can maybe kind of wrap up with this kind of like thought exercise, which is like, I, I haven't really, I don't feel like I have enough experience in other crafts or domains to know, you know, what this applies. But I think that's one thing that's always been really interesting to me about technology and, and building building new products is the diverse range of, of functional experience that comes to the table, right? You kind of look at one side of, um, you know, a, a extremely visual oriented designer, someone that is kind of focused on the crafts of the, the aesthetic and like the things that they hold dear. And the other end of the spectrum, maybe you have a super analytical data science scientist who, you know, who is, is much more distant from the product and, and really cares about, you know, um, you know, uh, the analytical charts and graphs and these sorts of things. I think one of the things that's so cool about technology is that it takes these very different perspectives and very different crafts and puts them in very close quarters. Yeah. And the magic happens when everyone kind of can collaborate and communicate and, and partner in, in a really interesting way. And I've always kind of been thinking about like, well, what are the other trades and crafts where like that happens at, 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 a, at a similar sort of scale? Um, where you can have such very different perspectives and, and kind of essentially value systems come together in such a small space. You ready for something shocking? Yeah. I agree. You agree. <laughs> wow. Well, I think this that's is... A, um, that's your first in, ever in, in 10 years of and knowing really you, Sam, that is the first first uh, ever I agree. And if, if anything has made this this kind of conversation uh, you know, helpful and useful and, and, enjoy, and you know, full of joy for me, it was that statement. <laughs> I agree. I think that's a really interesting point. And one I have not thought about before. Cool. So I'll think more about it. Blake, thanks for coming and hanging out and talking. This was fun. This was fun. I really enjoyed myself and uh, it's always great to see you, Sam. It's always good to see you, buddy.